0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk today about transformation. And sometimes it happens in the most unusual places. We're also going to talk to you about finances, how to get your house in order and how to get your finances in order. And lastly, we're going to talk to you with our special guest today about the public school system, because he has some experience with that. Stay tuned. You're going to want to listen to this one. The Turned On podcast is next.
1: Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life, in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go.
2: All right, that's right, we are back in
0: the Turned On studios, and we'd like to thank the people of Roadcaster Pro for, <laughs> we are now in our 10th Airbnb, and we'd like to thank Roadcaster Pro for making us sound so professional.
1: Yeah. Ten.
0: We're ten not, ten we're how not, many, but... Uh, we're we're not, would, not even counting the
1: hotels. Right, so
0: over the last year, if you've been listening, this is the 10th different Airbnb in the last year. Yeah that we're doing the podcast from. Can you tell I'm tired? And who should we thank for that?
1: We like to thank Grand Homes of Dallas-Fort Worth for delaying our home yet no. again.
0: We hope to be in it the next time we talk to you guys. But that being said, today we have a great show. The reason why is because we have a special guest that's about to come on. And we're going to talk about things that are definitely on everybody's mind. Really, transformation. Everybody wants to be Uh, something or grow into something, whether it's physically or financially or spiritually. So we have an expert that's going to talk about that and transformation where you find it, maybe not where you're thinking. And then we're going to talk to you about how to get out of debt. Uh, We're going to touch on that because this person, uh, him and his wife... Got out of, I believe it's four hundred thousand dollars in debt, and they are debt free today, which is a great story. You're going to want to hear that. And lastly, um, he was a public school teacher, so he definitely wants to weigh in on that. Angelique, why don't you introduce our guest?
1: Yes, so our good friend Kyle. Uh, Kyle is a husband father and an entrepreneur. So very much like us, we love speaking to people that are really into their family as well as really into faith-centered businesses. But he spent 13 years climbing that proverbial ladder in corporate America, which I know that I was all too familiar with myself. And he actually decided to leave that pursuit, um, chasing other paths and he found them far more fulfilling. And that's why he has completely dedicated his life as being the founder of Guy's Trip, which is taking others on bucket list adventures and helping them find community. He loves his wife, Lois, and so do we, and his son, Cal. Kyle Depias, thank you so much for joining us on the Turned On Podcast. We're excited to have you here today.
2: Well, hey, guys, thanks for having me on. I am excited to be here and I'm coming off of a cold cough. So if I sound nasally and kind of funny, that's why. So Forgive me for no, that. We here's, would
0: never know. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, I, I, I was coming on here and I thought to myself, Kyle's got one of those great radio voices already, you know, and, and he's got that, that nice, deep kind of baritone radio voice that sounds like it's got a filter on it, but it doesn't. So even. But just poet, so you know, he
1: does not have a face for radio. He yeah, just has a voice true. for radio. He has a <laughs> face voice, for television yeah. and video too. Kyle. You're a very handsome guy
2: thank you. you kind.
0: <laughs> so let's start off in a place that's near and dear to my heart. I've been following you on Instagram for some time and I've been watching these amazing guys trips. And what I love is that you say transformation often happens in the most unusual places. So let's start with that. Talk about some of the places you've been and, and why you decided to take men out of their comfort
2: zone. Well, it, it's an interesting story because I never, I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur in I never intended for these trips to be guys only. The very first one that I created about three years ago was just on the the north shore of Lake Superior, uh, left corporate America, was a teacher for a while, stay-at-home dad, and I got to kind of design and create something that I really wanted to see created in this world. And I just had this idea, you guys, I know you've been to these before, but I, I would go to all the leadership conferences and seminars and personal growth stuff and They were all the same thing right we're sitting in a large hotel conference room there's four concrete walls no windows you've got a jam-packed agenda and i'm someone david i sense you're probably like this i sit in the the back of the room closest to the door because in the afternoon i'm probably going to skip out on the programming and go hike go surf go golf all that stuff and so three years back i decided to create this event Just, you know, on the North Shore of Minnesota, I put it out there to my network, having no idea what would happen and all guys showed up and I never marketed this for guys. It was just kind of an event meant for someone who's kind of burned out, could use a break, need some more connection in their life, cross something fun off of their, their life to do list. But all guys showed up and what was really clear to me was guys don't really have a space to just talk about what's going on in life. We put our head down. We have a tendency to just grind away and and provide for the family and do all these things and work hard. And um, we rarely kind of bring our head up, look around and say, hey, you know, I'm kind of lacking in some relationships. I'm lacking in all these things. And who do I have to talk to about this? Because when I get together with my buddies from college, we talk about things we did 20 years ago in college. And I've changed quite a bit since then. So I never intended it for this to be all guys. Uh, the first one I did happened to be all guys. And I think God just said, hey, I, I think you need to do this for guys. And I just kept doing it. We've been, we've been dog sledding into boundary waters. We've pitted NASCARs. We've golfed Pinehurst. Um, I've got one coming up in a ranch in, in Texas. And we're going to Jeep overland. We've just done some wild stuff. And it's just really kind of taken off in a way that I never thought or intended it to take off.
1: That is so cool. I heard, you know, I heard the dog sledding part, and I immediately was taken back to one of our favorite uh, activities that we did on our honeymoon. Because we're very similar; like we need to be out doing things. And I feel we've been kind of—I mean, since having kids too—it's—it's different. We haven't really lived in places that were conducive to that. We need to get out of the city until you have had a (laughs)
0: husky—a husky poop in your face, going thirty miles an hour on a sled. (laughs) You really can't. You know, there's not a lot to compare life to. (laughs) I was like, is the dog just going to keep? Is the dog going to keep yeah. pooping while, while we go or they don't stop? The guy's like, that's part of it. You know, they're, they're on a mission, but you said <laughs> something, right. um, Kyle, you said people are burnt out. Um, and, and you, you, you're right. Um, you know, I always try and, uh, aim my teaching or some of the things that we talk about for, for people who have either short attention spans or just, they don't want to see a, another PowerPoint presentation, and I believe yep. environment is a big part of that. Now, on the back of your book, it says, the tendency to complicate our lives comes because we confuse the definition of success with what living a full life looks like. I know, Angelique, and yep. I, we, we are on the same page with you here. It says, we often uh, tie our success to the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And in in this pursuit, it's ironic that we use that word, right? Mm-hmm. This is your words. Mm-hmm. In this pursuit, that we get twisted and we become confused, we become lost, and we become lonely. So, explain what that means to our
2: audience. Mm. Yeah, I've um, as you had mentioned in the intro, I spent 13 years in, in corporate America, and you know, I, as a as a young 20 some year old, right, you come out of college and you have this vision for what you think success looks like, and oftentimes, it's tied to objects or titles or possessions, and so that's kind of what I was climbing the corporate ladder for. And I got in, I worked for a really large uh, retailer in in Minneapolis and their culture was every 18 to 24 months, you should be getting promoted. You should be working up the corporate ladder. And if not, you know, there's, there might be something wrong with you. We might have to kind of work you out. And so that kind of got stuck uh, in my programming thinking that, well, I'm supposed to be moving on up and, and doing more things and getting a bigger title. And with that comes more money and a bigger office. And that would allow me to, to buy more things and do all this stuff. And before you know it, you get towards the higher end of that ladder. and You look around and you're like, wait a minute. I, I kind of have what I thought what success looked like. And, and it, it sucks. It's, I, I feel lonely. I look around. I don't have good relationships in my life. Uh, I'm unhealthy because, you know, you got to spend all the first one in the office, the last one to leave. And so you really don't take care of your health. And you really start to question a lot of things. And the more conversations I have with people, this is quite common, I think, in kind of your mid thirties ish to upper thirties, as you start to experience some of the success and you're like, man, this is this what I want my life to look like. And I really started to battle those questions. and, And I ultimately just kind of resigned myself from corporate America in 2015.
0: Well, you know, I'm really big on the, um, here's the thing with the midlife crisis and, and certainly you're younger and we're talking about the mid thirties, right? So the midlife crisis, I think it might even be moved up because people are moving so much because there's, there's no such thing as staying in a job for 30 or 40 years and getting a pension. So we're moving around. Um, our culture is one that really, um, idolizes youth. So, you know, a 35-year-old might feel like they're past their prime these days, right? And then we we are also taught at the same time to pursue not just a living, but to pursue life. And I think that's where you're tapping into something that the world so sorely needs is because our fathers and grandfathers, mothers and grandmothers really just worked just to get by. Um, now we're trying to do this work-life balance. And let's get specific now because... I love the fact that we can learn big life lessons through living life. And so one mm-hmm. of the things that really struck out, in your, stuck out in your book is I want to take you back to the park city trip in last year in 2001 and where you guys went to this foam pit and there was a guy named Danny. Can you describe mm-hmm. that story for us and what the learning lesson was?
2: It's, it's so, it's such a beautiful, um, story. So there's a, there's a gentleman who came with, his name is Danny, as you had mentioned, and he, When he came with, he was, he was overweight and he knew he was overweight, but sometimes you just, you need these aha moments to just kind of slap you in the face. Right. Um, You know, we're nudged and we're nudged and we're nudged until we feel a sledgehammer. And so Danny was jumping around. He jumped into, you ever see those foam pits? Uh, Oh yeah. But this is, this is a really large adult one and Danny jumps in the foam pit and you know, he's over 300 pounds and he realized after he jumped in the foam pit, He jumped in the foam pit and now he's stuck and he can't get out because it's quite physically intensive to to wade your way through these large pieces of foam. And so he can't move. He can't get out. All these little kids are jumping in the foam pit, flipping and they kind of cruise right by next to him. And he's got to sit there with it and he's got to say to himself, man, um, I got to change something because this this isn't what I want my life to be about. And then he had to raise his hand quite literally and say, I need some help over here. I need some people to kind of help me get out of this, this foam pit, so to speak. And it became this metaphor for his life in that he's, he's kind of stuck. He knows he's in a spot where he doesn't want to be. He's the one who put himself there. He needs some help getting out, but it took him to, to get actually physically stuck in a foam pit him to realize like he's on this he's on this train that's heading in a direction where he doesn't want to be going he's unhealthy he's overweight um and he's stuck and, and he needs some help but it was and that's where I think transformation happens in the most unusual places he, he didn't sign up for this trip thinking that he was going to get stuck in a home right. and realize he's, he's got to make some health changes in his, in his life
0: Wow. And, but, and, and the, the perspective you say in the book, your perspective was different than everybody else's. Weren't you up watching from like on a, on a, on a banister or something up high?
2: Yeah. So yeah. It was tell really me about cool. what that was I'm, like. I'm up top second level and I see Danny stuck and I'm like, Oh man, I wonder if I should, you know, come down there and help him. I'm not quite sure what to do. And then all of a sudden I just see, you know, three, four of the guys in our group just kind of come over there and physically help him get out and I just think it's really cool to be able to have and build this community of guys who, who literally want to give a hand to someone and help them. They want others to be as successful as they are. There's, there's no, you know how you get guys around, Dave. and yeah. They're just like, everyone's kind of, you know, I got, you know I'm, I'm going to peacock around a little bit. I got an ego. I'm yeah. doing some big things. Like we're all sizing each other up. No, these, these, are, these guys all just want to see each other win. And there is no ego involved in it. We all get vulnerable and sharing some things, and and they all rallied around him and just came together and, and literally pulled him out of the foam pit. It was really cool to see.
0: Well, you know, you didn't mention this in your book, but when you were just mentioning that in your your view, I just thought of how, what God must think. You know, like God's looking down and, and he sees you know one of his children in trouble, and he sees other people come to their aid and their rescue, and 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 and, and that's his perspective. He's got that that type of perspective that we don't always see. And, you know, I can totally identify with the guy thing. I was at a party this past weekend for um, my friend who's, you know, got a little girl. Uh, so we're all over there. And I don't know how it happened, Ange, but I mentioned something about, like, I just went to the doctor to get my testosterone checked, you know? And and that is a weird conversation for men because you're, these are guys are all 10 or 12 years younger than me. And I'm like, you know, you know we're all going to compare numbers. And it's, you, you, you said it. It's kind of like this peacock, like this pissing contest of, you know, who's got more testosterone? And then all of a sudden, these guys, like the elephant was just taken out of the room and all these guys like, yeah, I had low T or, you know, I was suffering from this. And we're like, you realize you're not the only one. And so I think you're tapping into something there um, that men um, still need to be men. We still need to be strong, right? Masculine men. But it doesn't mean that we have to keep everything inside. And I think our fathers and grandfathers probably went to early graves because they kept so much inside, because they didn't talk about these things and they just kept them a secret. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. It almost is like a good image would be like a pressure release valve, right? Like we all just need this opportunity to just breathe and just be a guy and have conversations that really matter. And I think that's what these are turning into.
0: You know, it's funny you said one of the guys, uh, one of the guys in the idea had, one of the guys in the group had this idea um, that he would give anybody a thousand bucks who cleared this uh, this <laughs> jump. Do I know that person who made that bet?
2: You absolutely know that. person.
1: How funny is it when I, I read
2: that? I go, I know this guy. That's
1: got to be Chris Harder. Who Who is the <laughs> typical? I'll
2: bet you a thousand dollars if you can do it. Yeah, that's got to yeah, be Chris correct. Harder. Are we right? Yes, you are correct. Yeah,
1: I, that's one hundred percent. So I have a quick yep. question for you because, um, yep. you know, you're talking about. A pressure re- release valve, and having these conversations, and the opportunity to open up these doorways for conversation. How do you do that? How do you facilitate a room of men, not not beta males, like alpha males, to where they're actually opening up and, and having conversations while while still being in in their masculinity? You know, I think. There's a I have seen you know sort of this movement of men's type of retreats, but it's it almost it almost goes so far on the other side of the spectrum. I was like, eh, I, I just I can't see David going through something like that. Like these kind of yeah. regression type exercises where they're breaking down and 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 to no. me that's 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 playing with a whole new set of you know um, ethos that we don't want to even mess with. So my question to you is like, how do you facilitate this and and maintain? you know, the, that masculinity that, that God calls us or calls you guys to?
2: It, it's such a good question. And I'm going to give away my secret. Uh, but my my secret is, and I try and do this as soon as possible with a group, because I mean, only have a couple of days for these guys to connect. And the best way to do it is how do I get them, you know, how do I get them to be vulnerable essentially is what you're asking. And feel like it's a safe space to share it. The secret for me is I get the guys to do something they've never done before. So kinda kinda picture picture the group here. I'll give you a perfect example. Our last one was in Austin, Texas. Um the very first day or the first few activities we did is I brought in a professional soccer player. So David, if you remember pros versus Joes. Oh yeah. So I brought in a professional soccer player and each guy we've got about forty five minutes of training, each guy had to stop a penalty kick by a pro soccer player. So, I mean, just as you can imagine, no one was even close to stopping it. But the point is, if I can get everyone to step into something that they've never done before, there's no peacocking involved because, you know, we look around, you're like, well, shoot, I don't care what anyone's going to think about me because no one's done this, and we're all going to look kind of silly. So I might as well just have fun with it. And then after guys kind of go through this process of just playing all out, being willing to be seen, you are, you are more likely to have conversations that matter because now we all just kind of trust each other. Hey, I just saw David kind of make a fool of himself, but he had a great time doing it. We all are all laughing and we can all let our guard down now. And the sooner I can do that, the sooner I can ask them to be vulnerable, take a little bit of risk the quicker we get to the heart of what really matters. And so that's kind of how I do it.
1: Hmm. So do you have like a, a framework or, or do you just, do you ask questions from the heart? Like, do you, are you more intuitive in that moment? Or do you, you really work with some kind of formula essentially to get them to open up? Because obviously it yeah. was intentional and uh, strategic for you to bring in uh, a pro soccer player, right? I mean, by mm-hmm. the way, David was on pros with versus Joes. Did you know that? <laughs>
2: I don't think I knew that, really. He oh was, yeah. Oh, he oh, not only
1: he was on the show and got a hit by Off John off Rocker. Off John Rocker.
0: Yeah. Really. Yeah. 3-2 three, three, count. 3-2 count. He jams me inside and I put it back up the middle <laughs> and he's like, "Nice going, kid."
1: That but he awesome. didn't win because he got some really poor advice uh you know we don't
0: need to get ahead
1: when, when it came to actually uh, being <laughs> underwater and and testing his his lung capacity however i'm sure that would have been a perfect time to ask uh. questions to open him up yep. um you yep. know and and be vulnerable so Kyle do you do you have a formula or is it just something that you kind of act on instinct with?
2: I think, there's, I, I think there's a lot of intuition and instinct, and I think that's kind of where some of my skill sets are, is, is discernment is one of my top spiritual gifts. Mm. And so I can, I can just kind of intuitively understand where guys are at. I do a lot of work on the front end of these groups to understand who's there, what they're going through, how could I be strategic about partnering people up so that someone who might be looking for help in this area is partnered up with someone who is actually quite strong in that area. Um, and then I kind of follow a general model that I got from when I was a teacher. It's just called think, pair, share. And as I go through the, um, the, the, the weekend together or the three nights together, I kind of build upon uh, different activities and events where I give the morning a lot of time to be to yourself. I get you then in partners. And then as we get towards the end of the day and the end of the events, it's more of a group sharing process that is curated by myself in terms of how we have conversations around the dinner table, you know we're guys, and so a lot of times there's a fire and we just kind of have conversations around a fire. but a lot of it I just kind of allow it to happen organically, and I use my intuition okay
0: you know um is there this is I'm thinking to myself, you know our our demographic here is I would say probably sixty forty female. But think about all the women out there that are listening right now. I mean, Father's Day is coming up. You know, um, you want to give a, a really cool gift to somebody. I mean, give give your, your man the gift of, of self-expression. Give him the gift of, mm. of getting out of that comfort zone. And maybe, you know, because I think so many times, Kyle, not to overstate it, but I think we could save marriages and save families with events like this. Oh, yeah. You know, mm. is there anything coming uh, up? I mean, when, when's your next trip?
2: Yeah, I have one in the middle of July. So we're going to be uh, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm, I'm really partial to this one. <laughs> we're going to do a, a football day. I've got, uh, I think he's the second leading uh, touchdown scorer at ASU football. He's coming out to do the pros versus Joe's thing. And then we're going to go and do uh, some golf at Whistling Straits. And then in September, I've got a full NASCAR race weekend where we're going to train with the Pitker team do some racing stuff and then go up to Bristol and sit in the pits to watch. The
0: oh, that's going to be cool.
2: The event. So okay. those are the, that's 2022.
0: Yeah. I mean that,
2: that is, that is, you know,
1: so do they, do they go into this like with a year long commitment or is it like per event? per
2: event? I think it's per, yeah, I kind of, I, I've let it evolve a little bit. I just kind of found that I think guys like to pick events, that kind yeah. of work. And it's allows them to, Hey, you know, cause most of these guys are really busy. And so if I just give them a slate of, here's, here's a bunch of ways to get involved and go have some fun and meet some great guys. And, um, that's the best way I found work. I would
1: agree with that. Yeah.
0: So that guy who bet a thousand dollars, that was going to be my segue into the money portion of this (laughs) podcast. Um, (laughs) but you know, one of the things that I really admire you for, and, um, we had talked about this years ago, Kyle, when we first met, um, -hmm. I believe you went through some Dave Ramsey training. Was that it?
2: That's correct. Yep.
0: And um, let's talk about this. So uh, right now in in our day and age, right, I mean, with gas prices, with the economy, with inflation, um, debt is always one of those things. Again, if we're trying to save marriages, if we're trying to save families, we know that debt and money is one of the biggest disruptors of families and one of the biggest causes for divorce. Um, so you and your wife Lois, um, found yourself $400,000 in debt and, and look, it wasn't because you guys were not working and just spending things. It says you had made over $2 million. So I know Angelique's going to relate to this because, you know, people automatically assume that if you're in debt, that you're not making any money, but you guys were crushing it, but you still found yourself in debt. So let's unravel that story. How did that happen?
2: Yes, um, this is—it's quite a story, and it's—it's it's a major aha moment in in my life, and I know that language makes a lot of sense to you guys with turning the light switch on, right? So it was, you know, probably uh, let me think about this—almost ten years ago. I am sitting down, and you know, at the end of the year, I just kind of like to—I'm nerdy like this, right? So I, I go through, and I put it into PowerPoint. Um, a whole bunch of different things that happened in the year, just kind of recap the year. And then I look at projecting out next year, what our goals are in all different categories. And then I show that to Lois and we just kind of, you know, enjoy that process of recapping and and vision casting goal setting. So that year I decided, you know, I wonder it'd be really cool if I could pull um, kind of what retirement might look like. And so let me grab some social security information, which is, it's kind of a, a, a laugh or a joke now, but I did that. So this is a a good lesson for the listener. You may not know this, but if you go to social security website, which is just ssa.gov, G-O-V, they will show you your projected social security um, income when when you retire. But they do that based on how much money you've made life to date. So if you go to the website, you set up your profile, um, (laughs) The social security keep track of how much money you make in your lifetime. And I don't know if you guys have ever looked at how much money you've ever made. It is fascinating. And I did not know this. And so when I looked, I found out I made well over a million dollars at this time. And then I was like, well, that's funny. Where did it all go? And then I, I kind of yelled over Lois. I was like, Hey babe, what's, what's your social security number? Because I want to look up your life today earnings. She's like, all right, here it is. So together we made well over $2 million. And I was, you ever have that moment where you're like, it's a grenade of emotions, a cocktail of emotions. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was sad. Um, but it was also really motivated. It's like, well, okay, if we make this much money, I'm, you know, we can, we can do this again and we can get ourselves out of this pit. So I would encourage everyone to do that. If you need some sort of a a light bulb moments or an aha moment to kickstart you in a different direction, do that, pull your life dated earnings. Um, because you know, we're, we're people of faith as well. And so we believe that we're given money as steward and we realize, like, Hey, we we've been doing a really bad, really bad job of stewarding this money. Uh, We need to do a better job. And so this is what it's going to be like going forward. So then we just kind of set some goals together. And in just over three years, we paid off about $380,000 of debt. Wow.
0: Wow. Um, You know, that's a big number. And so if, if I I know it's, it's a whole, you know, it's a whole process, but, What's if people want to start, you know, like with the, what's the old uh, adage? How do you eat an elephant? You take one bite, one of, bite at a time. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's the first bite of yep. the, of the in-debt elephant?
2: Well, I think if you're married, um, you've got to get on the same page. And a lot of times opposites attract. And I was the one still am who loves numbers, loves spreadsheets, loves all that stuff. So it was my responsibility to kind of organize ourselves. and and get things together and then bring it to Lois and say, hey, here's where we are. You probably need to follow some sort of plan, right? You can't just wander through life. I think being intentional is really important and you should be intentional with finances. So we just kind of got on a plan, started living below our means, had a goal for every month as to how much money we wanted to pay off. And then we just followed the plan. I mean, it sounds quite silly, um, but over the course of time, if you just follow and stick to a plan, now we did Dave Ramsey's snowball plan, but honestly, you can follow any plan. Um, the plan works if you work the plan. So follow any plan you want. It uh, doesn't matter. Again, we use Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. So we did that and it just, it, it works over time if you stick with it. So, you know, and I think God really blessed us through that whole process. Uh, our income went up quite quite a bit through that period of time. And I think God was honoring us.
0: Amen. Yeah, he rewards that. And, and you said we live uh, below our means, and I think that, that frightens a lot of people. But w- what I remember from our conversation before is you said, you know what, it wasn't like we missed stuff. It wasn't like we were you know, eating TV dinners, and it wasn't like we were you know, not going out. So t- tell us what that means.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, my wife is gluten, dairy, corn, soy, egg-free. So we we can't just grab a a packaged TV dinner every night. So we still have a priority of of eating good, healthy, clean food. That's a a value of ours. I think you should be doing values-based spending and budgeting. Um, But, yeah, we we were not deprived of, of life. And, you know, where we lived at that time, just in a suburb of Minneapolis, We love at the end of the day just doing doing dinner together and taking a walk up the hill and going to watch sunset. Like I think some of the best things in life are free, but we get caught up in what we think life is supposed to look like. Mm. It's you know taking this cruise uh, to Greece or in Italy or something like that, and I think that's fine to have as a milestone, as a you know reward yourself after a goal. But life doesn't have to look like that in order for it to be happy and, and fulfilling and meaningful we just kind of looked at it as, all right, this is a season of life that we're just going yeah. to attack this stuff. And it's a season. I mean, I'm, I'll be 42 years old in a couple of days. And this was three years of my life. It wasn't like it was, you know, uh, over two decades worth. Yeah. So I think we can do anything for a season of time.
0: You know, it's so true. And you mentioned God and you know, what we've done is we've gotten away from the biblical definition of stewardship. You know, nowhere in scriptures cool. is debt viewed in a positive way. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer, you know, what we're used to now is we're saying, forgive us our trespasses, right? But in the King James Bible, um, it was forgive us our debts. And some churches will still say that as we forget our debtors. And in my book, as I researched that, is those two words are interchangeable in prayer because when we have financial debt, it requires a payment. In the same way, which which sin requires a payment, right? Which Jesus assumed the cross for us, and so debt is is almost a metaphor for sin, or it actually is in the Bible. And it, like I I said, it's never looked upon as positive, but um, we hear all these phrases like "I'm chained to a mortgage" or "handcuffed to this car payment" or "we're buried under these bills," and so it is literally a form of slavery, a bondage, a yeah. bondage, yeah. and so. Um, I think the church would be really well served if they got back to teaching that. I mean, people will say, well, whose responsibility is it? Maybe the parents. Sure. That's the first line is, is it the schools? Well, we know they're not doing it. We're, they're teaching kids to get more in debt and we'll just take it away. Um, and so if we get back to the Bible, what does God said? You're not supposed to be in debt. It's, it's mentioned throughout the word of God. So I think you have a great way of, of looking at those two things. And, you know, and, and this is maybe way, where we segue into the teacher because if our schools aren't teaching kids financial responsibility and they're saying, hey, you know what, we'll take away all your student debt, um, that's a segue to your other expertise is being a teacher. And, you know, this is one thing that you and I haven't talked about yet, so... Um, I'll admit it, I've been very critical of the public school system, but I've also tried to be very supportive of teachers because I have not taught, but I know it's the most important job. I've often said that if we took uh, teaching and policing and we paid those people like we pay NBA basketball players or TV celebrities, then the world would be a much happier place. But um, what does Kyle think about that?
2: Well, it's interesting because I taught personal finance at the school that I was at, it was actually required. And I think that's probably one of the first and easiest steps that that we can take. But I think the whole education industry is is ripe for innovation and reform, and it's 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 needing it. It's very archaic. Um, yeah. And just to give an example, you said what we should be paying school teachers. I left corporate America and I became a high school business teacher, and I took a hundred thousand dollar pay cut to do it. And that right there should just give people an example uh, of what we should be doing and what we could be doing um, in just getting and bringing in the right people to get in front of our kids. But there's a whole lot that I, I love to say about, about education and I would love to get into it. But, you know, if I look back at like when I was in high school, so I graduated in 1998 from high school. And I, I was thinking about this on a drive back home today. If I, if I ever had a teacher call my parents and say, Hey, Kyle's, you know, there's, there's something going on and he's been messing around, whatever it is, my parents would come to me and say, Hey, uh, you need to fix this. If I, when, when I would call home the parents when I was teaching, and I've been out of public school for five years as a teacher, but what the first thing that parents would say, is they would point the finger at me as a teacher and say, well, you need to, you know, you need to address it. I'm sure Johnny was having a bad day or whatever. And so we we need to make some accommodations or it's interesting. And I'd be curious to put the question back on you guys. If you remember from your time, if your teachers ever called home to your parents, what would your parents say to you?
1: Well, I'm trying to remember if there was ever a time. (laughs) I was one of those students that didn't get in trouble Uh, much, but, but I, I will say, that if I got a, you know, my kids are homeschooled now, but if when Ella was in school, if she, if we had ever gotten a phone call, I a hundred percent would go directly to Ella. I would not Mm -hmm. put it back on the teacher, but there Mm -hmm. now, now I say that with a double-edged sword because there's plenty of things that I feel differently about. Like when it comes to, you know, the difference, the boundaries between home and school and, if, you know, you have my kid eight hours a day and then they come home and bring homework and it's family time, I'm going to say, well, mm-hmm. why aren't they accomplishing that in the eight-hour assembly line that you have them in? You know, yep. so it, this is my time to, to teach my children and steward that time with them and, and bring up their emotional intelligence and, you know, nurture into our family. Um, but to your point and to your question, I, I would 100% address my kid. Now, mm-hmm. for to a point... Then eventually, it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Well, what's going on at school, yeah. or maybe th- you know, through the teaching or through the curriculum, that could potentially be produce- you know, procuring this behavior in my kid.
0: Well, I yeah. I lived in the generation where I got paddled, and they didn't ask your parents, and yeah. you know, and and here's the thing: I look yeah. back on it now, and if 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 my daughter was in public school and she came home and said they they touched me with you know they hit me with a paddle, we'd have a big problem. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. people will say that's why we've gotten soft. But back then, I mean, I got paddled. My parents didn't know about it, and they didn't—they didn't really say anything about it. They're like, well, what did you do to deserve that, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah. The other part yeah.
0: that's funny, Kyle, is um, I was a candy dealer. I got busted. It was—it was, and it was literally <laughs> like a month after getting paddled. Um, I got paddled <laughs> for fighting and then a yeah. month later so I was already on the on the watchful eye of the dean there um, on his list for fighting and then um, I'm sitting there between periods and a teacher walks up to me and she goes are you selling candy and I'm like yeah and she's like come with me <laughs> and and so what I would do is I would take my dollar 25 that I got for lunch and at the bus stop right across the street it was like a 711 I would go buy a dollar 25 worth of candy like blow pops and now and laters and kids would come up to me and they're like, Hey, you got any candy? And I would sell it. I would sell it for double the price. And I thought that was pretty entrepreneurial of me.
2: Yeah. you are starting your own business. I mean, but the, the whole, the whole, the whole conversation is this is a microcosm of society where yeah. we're, where we're looking, we're sending our kids to school and saying someone else parent, my kid, for me, you know, because we're, we're not, and you guys are, are a great example of, of leading your household and you're in charge of their education. You're in charge of instilling the values that you want to see in them. The opposite is, is happening in society. Mm -hmm. And that's what I saw as one of the, one of the major problems in, in education. I think another one too is, is you look at what's the goal of, of going to education? What's the goal of school? We're in, we, we are, our behavior is motivated by incentives. So as a teacher, it was our job and we were incentivized this way, we were, our metrics were this way. We are supposed to get our kids good at standardized tests, right? Mm-hmm. ACT, the SAT because we want to be able to say we have a 95%, you know, you know, uh, graduation rate for those that are going to post-secondary education. Those are are the goals and that's what we're trying to do, but if you if you look at what I was trying to do as a business ed teacher, an entrepreneurship teacher, an econ teacher, I'm trying to get kids to be prepared for the real world. Mm. How to how to communicate, um, how how to understand what it's like to manage your personal finances, how to think critically. Those are the skill sets that are valued that are valued and rewarded in today's society and workforce. Yeah. But that's not what we're teaching our kids. We're teaching them how to do well at a standardized test.
1: You lit her up. You, I just sat up in my chair and you, Kyle, you and I have had this conversation. Mm-hmm. We've we've had this conversation. So, um, and and it's just it's something that the Lord continues to press, you know, on my heart because we and we're actually facilitating some things right now. David's working on a program right now uh, for, soft skills. for soft skills and. Um, mm-hmm and leadership and, and, kids. And it's, it's vital. I mean, the, the rapid decline that we're seeing through, um, uh, this standardized educational system, uh, is not preparing these people for real life skills. And it's interesting because our, our oldest daughter, Ella is 10, you know, she'll, she'll be doing her work and, um, she'll even write down, you know, th- things on her paper. She's in incredibly talented and smart so she you know she pretty much strikes A's on most things but she'll look at something and she'll just be like this is stupid you know and it's (laughs) I ask her why do you think it's stupid she's like because I know for there's I'm not going to use this in my life you know Mm -hmm. and we we school her essentially on where and how she can use it in her life but she's I got it I can't argue with her a lot of it she's not going to and so even when we homeschool you know there are some things where I scratch my head going ah just no, like this This is not really going to be that useful moving yeah. forward. So what is, the, what is the overall focus of these, you know, curriculums and what's going on? And I just, I love the fact that, you know, you dedicated so much time of your life to this and taking a $100,000 paycheck, uh, pay, uh, gosh, cut, yeah. and in order for you uh, to instill these values and these critical thinking skills into the youth because this is the next generation. Like I feel like our generation is... You know, I, we're not lost for sure, but boy, are we, we pretty far past, you know, the point of no return for many of us. But, you know, a lot of us have to work really, really hard uh, to, you know, unlearn and relearn. Whereas a kid, we're they're ripe for molding and yeah. we can really raise up the next generation uh, for the kingdom.
0: Well, you know what, Kyle, I'd love to get your response on this because I've, I spent the last, better part of the last two months doing interviews, uh, one-on-one interviews with young people. Um, as young as 11, uh, all the way up to 18. And sometimes their parents are there and sometimes their parents aren't. You know, the younger ones, their parents want to be in the room, which I totally understand. Um, but one of the questions was, um, you know, what's the biggest misconception about your generation? And by far, it was, you all think we're a bunch of losers and that we're addicted to our phones, that we're never going to amount to anything. So I said, we have to really be careful because um, that's not a way to raise up a generation and save them, is by no. pointing fingers at them. But at the same point, um, they are addicted to their phones for the most part, and we are too. Um, and they are in trouble because, um, I think self responsibility, and uh, you you mentioned this going back to the last segment with your finances. We were responsible. We had to do something about it, and we did. And I don't know if we're teaching that, but I know that we have to get through to it. You know, you said in your book, we don't control the circumstances, but we do control our responses, and that leads to control over the outcome, and. You, you know hey if you pick something and you go to school four years and and that's a major where you're not going to be able to get work then and you get out you can't be pointing figures going nobody wants to hire me or I can't make any money you know like and and I think we start off in the educational system and as parents is what are your gifts mm-hmm. you know like Kyle your diff you said, Men and women are opposite sometimes. You know, Angelique's gifts are a complete opposite from mine. You, you are, your gifts are complete opposite from mine. So we're going to a one size fits all school where everybody's just taught to do good on this test and things will work themselves out naturally. And guess what? That's not the case. Now there is a lot of opportunity. This is where entrepreneurs out there really, you guys, if you want to capture something and you see a need, it is in school. It's forever changed. With what we're seeing at the school boards this year, with what we're seeing um, just in the curriculum and the books that we've been exposed to, education will never be the same again. So it is up to, I believe, the private sector, right? The private sector to say, what can we do? How can we find the gifts, um, expose the kids to enough things, and then find out early enough where they tend to be uh, leading toward And then get them into that because I remember all the way through college I was given these tests. um, I think they call it the ASVAB test to try and figure out where you'd be best at. You know, you you test for four hours, and I get out and I'm all excited. They say you would be a great military recruiter, and I was like, "Uh, "Where did that come from?" And and what happened was because we put generic answers, and and my, I mean, generic questions. And my answers were, I like to lead people. I like to influence. I like to have something different every day. I like structure at the same time. And so I can see why they would spit this out of the computer. But again, it's a computer. We're not taking time to nurture these kids. And look, you had to take a hundred thousand dollar cut. The fact of the matter is these NBA players, and I get it, you know, people are going to pay for what they want. And and it's not just NBA, it's not NFL, it's it's other things too. Why aren't we investing in teachers? You know, as, as hard as I am on them, Kyle, why aren't we investing on them? You know, uh, why aren't we making teachers the best and the brightest? Just like our 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 law enforcement, why aren't they the best and the brightest and earning a paycheck that rewards the best and the bi- brightest? So, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh. I think that as teachers, and it's similar to some of the other professions you mentioned, like police, you get into this massive, massive system and you come in with new ideas and, and hey, we should try this and we should try this. And you, you get stuck because you're like, no, I mean, this is the box that we are going to be playing in and you've got to stay inside the box. And we don't reward and we don't incentivize creativity, new ideas, change. Hey, let's, here's a great example. Um, taught entrepreneurship. I had every kid start a business or start something new. And I said to the school board, I said, all right, this is a small school graduating classes are like 25 to 30 kids, just for, for context. But in the community, there was a home that was being foreclosed on. And it needed massive repair. It was within walking distance from the school. And I said, hey, give me the ability to go out into the community for the businesses, get a scholarship, go buy this house, and then let me take my, my students from uh, entrepreneurship. Let's match it with the students that are in trades, metals, woodworking, etc., And let's also work with the art department. And let's rehab a house together. And all these, all these different classes can be integrated, working together, one common goal. And think of the rich amount of learning these kids would have. I don't believe in learning by reading. I believe in learning by doing. And I try to get as experiential as possible. I don't think you can learn entrepreneurship, for example, through a textbook. But they rejected it because it, it would have taken too much time, too much of this, too much of that. And just imagine if you're a teacher and you come up with this beautiful, fun idea that you think would be rich in learning, the students would love, the community would get behind, but you're told no. And then you have another idea and you're told no and you're told no. And before you know it, you just stop coming up with new ideas and you just get stuck in the system doing the same thing year in and year out because why would you bother doing something different? And I think that's, I think these are good people in education, but they're just, they've been beaten down over yeah. the years and they just they lose their voice and they say, you know what, this is what it takes to just stay in this job. So I guess I'll just keep
1: doing yeah. it. It's a bureaucracy, that's what yeah. it is. Yep. I mean, we interviewed a lot of teachers and homeschool parents regarding this very topic uh, because of, you know, what we want to create. And it's just interesting to hear your perspective and speaking on it because, again, you know, <sighs> This is a whole another podcast. But um, the bureaucracy that's involved and the red tape that's involved means that we will have an entire system of people that are not reliant upon the government and then what happens to their power? Mm Mm-hmm what happens to their power they have none because they can't control minds they can't control schools they can't control learning they can't control standardized tests they can't have a credit system based off of you know where people rank and then we, it's it's unbelievable and that's what that's what's happening it's a weakening of of society it's a weakening of minds and it although it seems under the guise of for the greater good and education whatever it's just that they are get they're thrown into this system um, that has no independence whatsoever no creativity whatsoever no critical thinking whatsoever no no skill sets skill set based learning whatsoever no entrepreneur no gifts nothing and that's what drives me crazy one of my favorite things in the world if not my favorite thing in the world of the world is like watching people operate in their gift and -hmm. when i see people in their gift it's like i cry i mean it literally brings me to tears it's like a form of worship to the lord for me because i'm like yes somebody's in their gift it's it's a it glorifies what god has done in their life and why are we why have we fallen away from that and it's because of of the the standardized bureaucracy and the government entities that have put this system in place, you know, and we did it during, and you know, the revolutions that we needed people in, you know, on the workforce doing certain things, but that never changed. It just became so antiquated a lack of creativity. Like yeah, you said, here's so the thing. Antiquated yeah.
0: when you have tenure and, and you could have tenure, uh literal tenure where you, you just, you're just there and yeah. you, you have a spot for the rest of your life. And then your life force leaves career, career here's a perfect example our friend was at a school board meeting out in arizona and he had young kids in uh in elementary and middle school and um they said any questions at the end of the school board meeting well he holds up his hand and he says yeah he's like i want to know what my kids are doing two or three hours of homework each night mm-hmm. and and he got challenged right away by a teacher you know and what did he say Do you remember Ange? He said, he goes, yeah, if you yeah. can't do your job in eight hours, yeah, then exactly. why would you infringe on my time with my kids? That's when we're exactly at home, right. we're praying, we're learning things, we're teaching them. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, some of the parents started to applaud this guy. And the teachers saw it and they said, well, let's have a meeting privately, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they didn't want, oh my God, now, now we're giving ideas to the masses. We can't have that or revolt. Right. So the next day he meets with those teachers and the principal in private. And he looks, he goes, look. My kids are A students right now. He goes, "But guess what? They're going to be entrepreneurs. I don't even think they're going to go to college. And if uh, if it means being a C student, then they're not going to do homework. They're just not." And I don't, you know, I'll be fine with that. And you know what they said to him? Do you remember?
1: Yeah. What they say? "Your kids do not have to do any more homework. Just don't tell the rest of the parents." Um, um, don't let don't the cat out of the bag. Don't let the cat out of the bag. Yeah.
2: Scary. I, you know, yes, we I think David, you asked you, you said earlier. Um, you ask kids like, "What bothers you about what what other generations think of you?" And I think that we are are not challenging this generation. I, I don't. I think we're holding them to a really, really low standard. Yeah. And if we could only just challenge them, I think I believe that they rise to the occasion. But we're we're just kind of trying to hit this middle of the bell curve, and you've got students that want to be challenged and. They lose the ability to, to just think critically and do some other things and, and just be different, try something new, That they just stop doing it. And we get really discouraged by that. And I think this generation is really frustrated by that because they're extremely talented. They have the world at their fingertips, quite literally. And if we would only just challenge them, they could go on a self-discovery process, learn a whole bunch of fun stuff. And come outside the, the, the other side of this and just be so much, uh, so, have such a stronger awareness. I had one student in my entrepreneurship class. I said, I said, you need to start something. You need to create something. And he didn't know what to do. And he was on the basketball team. I said, well, what drives you crazy? What, what bothers you? And he's like, well, we don't have enough equipment. I said, well, why don't you go out and raise some money through a, an event and, and donate it to the basketball team so they can buy equipment? He got all fired up he was knocking on doors of businesses. this is a really reserved kid but I got I, I figured out like a little pressure point for him got him lit up and he got to go on this whole self-discovery process and do something extremely meaningful to him. And if we could only just challenge kids more, I, I think they would be that much better off.
0: Wow. Um, I'll tell you what Kyle as Angelique's looking at me I could, if I could tell you and listeners right here you know I'm telling you right now, her eyes are lit up and she's looking at me and she's like, you need to talk with Kyle more. Um, because here's the thing, whether it's the men's group or getting out of finances, these are all the major pain points going on right now. I had another friend, uh, I had a friend just, you know, just end his life via suicide. You know, maybe that men's group would have saved his life. We, we have people all over the place that are, are worried about how they're going to pay their next bill because they're not financially responsible. Um, your teaching could save their life. And then these ideas, anybody who's listening right now, you got to be listening to Kyle going, uh, yeah, like, duh, this is exactly what we need. Why aren't we doing this? Why are we so stagnant in our in our thinking in the public school systems? Or, like I said, it's going to go private. So, look... It's been a fantastic hour. We could definitely talk for another hour, have you back maybe sometime. What I would love for you to do right now is uh, tell them where can they can find the men's trip. Tell them how they can follow you on Instagram or where you're most available, um, where they can find the book as well.
2: Yeah. Well, and thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I I use social media just as a way to connect with people. And I think, you know, David, you're probably a little bit frustrated with social media as am I. And so I'm figuring out how do I, uh, you know, eventually have conversations where they're not filtered and and censored and all that stuff. And I'm working on that, but, you know, for now, I think just the best way, you know, and I'm Kyle underscore depius. you may not be able to spell that last name based on how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's out there. A guy's trip is the book. That's just on Amazon. You, You can grab that. And then uh, the website for, you know, what we're doing with trips is uh, guystrip.co. And I have some pretty exciting stuff coming up in 2023 that we're going to be doing a lot more of these trips because I've had alumni raise their hand and say, hey, I would love to lead these for you if you can architect them and, and bring some guys in. So we're, we're going to expand what we're doing and have a greater impact.
0: Well, you said it, that last word, impact. You are definitely making an impact um, I had a feeling this was going to be a great hour with you, but you have exceeded my expectations tenfold. And yeah. I just, I hope everybody listens to this. I have, uh, I have four or five things that I've underscored here and outlined a timestamp that I'm going to try and really, uh, get out to the public. So, um, what a delight to have you on the show. We can't wait to have you back someday.
1: Kyle, thank yeah, well, you so I've, much. and um, just be prepared to talk offline like, <laughs> because <laughs> sounds, because again, my good. wheels uh, you got my wheels going on so many different things yeah. that we've we've been working yeah. on, and uh, it's been some time since we spoke. so
2: Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. Lois and I are big fans of, of both of you and your family, so thanks for leading the way.
1: Uh, We appreciate you. We hope you got turned on by this today. I know he certainly did for us. Thank you so much, listeners, and we'll speak to you next time.